Welcome to New Life Church's weekly message. New Life Church's mission is to lead people into a transforming relationship with Jesus through the gospel. Pastor Steve Vinegar brings us part three of the series, Rooted and Grounded, in this week's message entitled, Rooted and Grounded in Fellowship. You can find the sermon outline and video for this message at enewlife.com or the New Life Church Kahana mobile app. So take the study guide, if you would, out of your worship folder so you can track with me this morning. And uh, we've been talking in this series about going deeper with God, about being more deeply rooted and grounded with the Lord in our faith. And, um, you know, it occurred to me that, that as we're having this conversation, you, you could get the idea that this is something that you do by yourself, on your own. You could start to think, well, yeah, I do want my life to have more stability and more fruitfulness, so I'll get alone with God, and I'll get alone with Him in His Word and in prayer, and I'll grow deeper and stronger that way. And that is, those are good things to do. I do those things. I get alone with God in His Word and in prayer, but... What we find when we read the New Testament is really this is seen as more of a collective effort, more of a group undertaking, not a solo venture. It's something we do together, something we help each other in, growing deeper. I'm just thinking about the passage that we began with, and I'll kind of skip through because I've got to preach a shorter sermon, right? Uh, <laughs> Ephesians 3, verse 17 talks about being rooted and grounded in love that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints the love of God. With all the saints. This is, this is something we do together. We encourage each other in together. And so what I gather from my study of the New Testament, my reading is this. Getting more grounded in God means getting more connected with God's people. Would you say that with me? Getting more grounded in God means getting more connected with God's people, with all the saints, as Paul put it. I think to really grasp this concept, we, we first got, have to understand how God put his church together, how he designed his church. In other words, we need to develop our ecclesiology, and that's a big word that simply means your belief about the church belief about the church. And if you know me, you know that I believe that having a solid, robust, fully formed ecclesiology is essential to being a grounded Christian. I contend that what you believe about church is going to affect a lot of things. Uh, whether you seek out a church home, if you move into a new community, how involved you get, whether you decide to become a member or a ministry partner or not, how connected you get with the people, how you feel about things when, it, when your church gets criticized, or under what circumstances you might end up leaving a church. All of those choices flow from your ecclesiology, your belief system about the church. So what you believe matters. It affects a lot of things. There are several analogies that are presented to us in the Bible that help us grasp God's design for his church, but None of them is more pronounced or prominent or significant than the analogy of the human body. And we're all familiar with human bodies, right? You have one. You brought it today. It's awesome. You brought your body with you. And we understand how bodies work, and our familiarity with bodies can help us deepen our understanding of the body of Christ, the church. Think about your body for a moment. If I said to you, what are you doing right now? What are you doing? 
you might be tempted to say nothing. I'm just sitting here. But the truth is, technically speaking, you're actually very active right now. You're working very hard. So turn to your neighbor and say, I'm actually working hard right now. (laughs) Sweating, maybe even. I mean, your heart is beating at 60 or 70 times a minute, pumping blood through 60,000 miles of blood vessels. On average, the human heart beats 93,000 times a day, 655,000 times a week. No wonder you feel tired. That's a lot of work. You're working hard right now. All of your limbs and organs are at work right now if you're healthy, hopefully. Your lungs are doing what lungs do. Your kidneys are filtering out impurities from your blood. You're, You're being cleansed right now as you sit here. Isn't that awesome? Your brain is sending out millions of signals. Your eyes are taking in millions of of signals. Your, your gallbladder, well, maybe not. Anybody else minus a gallbladder in here? So, Anyway, you're working hard. Your body is amazing, and we should all marvel, I think, at God's brilliant work of engineering and craftsmanship and making these human bodies, but I'm not talking about biology today. I'm talking about the church as the body of Christ. That's the analogy that, that God chose. Romans 12, 4, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. So some people think about church in such a way that you could get the idea that the church is a building, like we're going to church, right? We use language that sometimes has that connotation. But the truth of the matter is, is that the church is actually a living organism. It's us. It's the people. That's the church. Any attempt to form a biblical ecclesiology has to take into account the teaching of Paul found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. That's where we're going to be this morning. So if you have a Bible or a device with a Bible app, go to 1 Corinthians 12. I I like to preach this message every several years because it's so easy to get hazy on this, and to drift away from God's design. It's in 1 Corinthians 12, we find the most detailed explanation of the church as the body of Christ, and it presents some truths to us, some, we'll call them body life principles, that God wants to shape our beliefs and our practice when it comes to the church. I think that understanding and embracing these principles is a first step for us to become more rooted and grounded in fellowship. And that's what we're talking about today. So I want to give you six of them. There's more, but for the sake of time. Number one, unity. Unity. Though the church has many members, it was designed to function as one living organism. The principle is? The principle is? Unity, unity. 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. So you wouldn't walk up to someone after church today and say, Hey, how's it going, you big bag of bones and muscles and organs and limbs wrapped in skin tissue? You wouldn't say that. You'd say, How's it going, Fred? (laughs) We understand that Fred is composed. I'm sorry, Fred. Uh, We understand that Fred is composed of all those things, but we see each other as a unit, right? As one person, not just a collection of all the parts. 
And in God's mind, the church that he is creating is like that, one body consisting of many members. For us here at New Life, we have 851 individual ministry partners here. You ask me, what what numbers do you pay attention to? That one, primarily. 851 members spread throughout 70 small groups at four celebrations at two campuses. But in God's design, we're one body. One body. And we're to think of ourselves that way as a single unit, not just a bunch of individuals. And so here, we attempt to reflect that by having one team of elders that oversees all the church, the whole church, all campuses. One elder team, one unified budget, One mission, one vision, one strategy that we're seeking to carry out, and one senior pastor, Jesus, the chief shepherd of the church whom we all submit to. You see, unity in the church is a big deal to God. That's why sowing seeds of discord and disunity is such a grievous sin to Jesus, and it's subject to church discipline. Jesus died to make us one, so unity. Following on the heels of that is a second principle in this passage, and it's diversity. might sound strange. Well, I thought you were just talking about unity. Now diversity. I'll explain. This principle plays out like this. The individual members of that one body do come from varied backgrounds and have different functions. Diversity. Verse 13, for... For in one spirit, one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slave or free, all were made to drink of one spirit, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. So in God's design, there is one body of Christ, but it's composed of many different members, and the members are not all the same. Aren't you glad? I mean, just look around. (laughs) There's diversity. In that church that Paul was writing to in the city of Corinth in the first century, he refers to them consisting of both Jews and Greeks, slave and free. So those are the outer extremities of the social spectrum in that day. Those groups represented huge divides in that culture, but he says that they were brought together as one in Christ. Tells us that God's a master. He's a specialist at creating unity out of diversity. Sometimes I think about this church and I look around and I see all the different kinds of people that make up the body of believers here at New Life. And I marvel that there's any unity at all with all the differences. Think about it. Right here in this room today, we have different temperaments, different skill sets, different gift mixes, different callings, different passions. We're composed of people from six generations, from the baby born last week We have some 90-year-olds in our church, both genders, all kinds of skin colors, backgrounds, income levels, preferences. Some people prefer to eat at Brio. Others of you like Waffle House. There are Trump fans in this congregation, and there are Hillary supporters in this congregation, and there are people like me who are still hoping someone else will jump in the race. (laughs) I don't know if that's going to happen. I mean, when you think about it, it's amazing. There's even a shred of unity in this church, given all the differences. Only the Spirit of God baptizing all of us into the body of Christ could bring unity out of that kind of diversity. Despite all of our differences, the thing we most share in common is what? Jesus Christ. Being redeemed by Him and our love 
back to him in response. Now, in this chapter, the primary differences Paul is honing in on are the differences in our giftings, our various giftings and functions in the church. And as members of Christ's body, we've each been designed by the Creator to fulfill a specific function, much like the eye and the heart and the liver. And Paul is saying here, God has equipped each of you with a specific role, a specific function within the body of Christ, a role that's different from that of others. And so... The second principle of body life that people who are grounded in fellowship are learning to appreciate is diversity. We believe in unity, yes, but not in uniformity. We're not trying to produce a bunch of cookie-cutter Christians off the assembly line who all look alike, dress alike, talk alike, think alike. That's not the goal. We're not supposed to be carbon copies. God celebrates our differences, but he wants to blend them together into one unified body that will give full expression to the life of Jesus. You with me so far? Unity, diversity, number three, we'll call it value. Value. What do you mean by that? Well, every single member is important. And what each person contributes to the overall health of the body is vital. So where do you get that? Verse 15 reads like this, if the foot should say, now we have feet talking, how should I say this, how does a foot sound, I have no idea, (laughs) because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body, and if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body, Paul's using humor here to get a point across, the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? Verse 18, but as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. What's he saying? He's saying everybody's important. Every single one is important. Every member has something to offer that the body needs. There are no throwaway parts. There, are, there is no junk, you've heard it said, right? God doesn't make any junk. We each have value. Each of our functions is necessary for the body to be healthy. And so we have right here in our midst this morning some people who serve as the hands of the body. These are the doers, the worker bees, the folks who love to do the physical Hands-on work of ministry, setting things up, tearing things down, fixing things, building things, making meals. When I mentioned the the Louisiana flood relief effort a few minutes ago, these are those of you who said, yeah, let me add it. That's what I do. I work with my hands to make things better. Others are more like the feet in the body. They're, They're always on the go. They're fidgety. They're in settings like this, and they get a little restless. They're like, let's go do something. Why are we sitting here? Let's go. These are the people of action. They want to take us places and compel us to go. We have people who serve as the eyes of the body. They have vision. They see. They see God more clearly. They look at people that the rest of us maybe look right past or don't even notice. They have eyes. They see. Some are the ears of the body. Love these folks. People who are especially tuned to the voice of God. They're able to drown out and shut out all the other noise and turn down the loudspeakers and hear the voice of the good shepherd speaking. The ears. 
And yes, there are some who serve as the kidneys of the body, who filter out the contaminants in our teaching and in our lifestyle so that we'll embrace a pure gospel and live holy lives unstained by the world. These folks are wonderful. They're kind of irritating sometimes, but they're wonderful, necessary for the sustained health of the body over the long haul. Listen, all those functions are vitally important for the healthy functioning of the body, all of them and more. You think about the heart and the lungs and the liver and the limbs. Some are more visible, some are less visible, but all are valuable. Sometimes in some churches, the people up here, the people who preach and teach, the people who sing and lead worship, sometimes in some churches, those people get more credit. It's kind of out of proportion to their actual value to the body because they're visible, they're up front. And sometimes other folks, you know, sitting out there think, why can't I be like them? Why is everybody looking to them? Why didn't God give me those gifts? No one seems to notice what I do. I'm kind of behind the scenes. Maybe I'm not really needed here. And that is so not true. That is so not true. Everyone is needed. Listen, gift envy or gift inferiority, those are, those are not healthy attitudes in the body of Christ. It'd be like your pancreas complaining that since no one sees what it's doing, it's just going to stop functioning in protest. Or like your big toe getting mad because it's not getting the daily attention that your face gets. Absurd, right? Everything's important. You need your big toe, you know that? You'll, your equilibrium will be off if you don't have that. All of us need to understand and believe what verse 18 says. God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? I mean, if the body of Christ was just one big eye rolling around, that would just be weird. Yeah, I agree. I don't even want to think about that. Every individual member, every different function is important, right? You, 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 you all have value in the body of Christ. Unity, diversity, value, let's call this next one interdependence. Not independence, but interdependence. Say, what's that mean? Well, it means everybody needs everybody else. Each member needs all the others. Interdependence. Verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. I read one scientist who wrote this. Listen, very interesting. Each of our body systems are interconnected and dependent on each other. Our heart, which is part of our circulatory system, does not beat unless our brain, which is part of our ner nervous system, tells it to. Our skeletal system is dependent on our digestive system for increase in size and strength. Our muscular system needs our respiratory and circulatory systems to supply energy in the form of oxygen and nutrients. It takes all the systems for human growth and development. The body's trillions of parts all work together as a team. If you're healthy, that's what's happening. And so not only is each member necessary for the overall health of the body, but each member needs every other member. Interdependent. Like in the human body, when one organ or system or limb malfunctions or fails or shuts down, another seeks to step in and compensate. You see the analogy in the body of Christ? I was thinking about 
how we're praying and planning to open up our next campus, a third campus. And Jesus is the head of the church. He's going to make it known when that's supposed to happen. As I thought about that, one thing that's going to need to happen is that as some of you feel led to go, because maybe you live in Blacklick or Pataskala or Summit Station or Reynoldsburg, out in that area, as you feel led to go and engage in that congregation, what's, that, what's going to happen? Some roles are going to be vacated here, and others of you will need to step up and offer yourself to serve in those roles if we're going to continue to be healthy here in Gehanna. Does that make sense? That's how a healthy body works. Our choices, maybe, maybe you haven't thought about it this way, our choices to connect or stay aloof, our choices to get in the game and serve or sit on the sidelines and just watch others, they matter. They not only impact the overall health of the body, but they affect other individual members. I'm telling you, my wife lets me know when four people call off for nursery service, it puts more on those who are there. Does that make sense? Is that need to compensate for the deficit. We impact each other in ways we may not have thought much about. Interdependence. All right, number five. We'll call this one equal honor. Equal honor. Equal honor. No member is inferior or superior to any other member, regardless of their relative visibility, how upfront they are. This is what Paul's trying to get across in verses 22 through 24. On the contrary, he wrote, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. So what's he saying? Is, is he, he's saying, think about your own body for a minute. You have a variety of limbs and muscles and organs. Some are visible to other people. Others are invisible and internal. Now think, do you regard your internal organs as less important than your visible features? I mean, I mean would you say that your lungs are less important than your hair? Can't see your lungs. You can't see your hair, what remains of it. I mean, isn't the truth actually that you need, you can, you, you can do without hair, but you can't do without your lungs. The invisible parts are at least as valuable, if not more so. And I believe, I think it's interesting that God designed our human bodies that way, in part to illustrate the folly of valuing the more visible members too highly. In a healthy body, equal honor is given to all members, whether they're up front on the platform or serving back in the nursery. People who teach or sing up front respect and care about those who are serving behind the scenes and vice versa. It's mutual. We understand that we all have value. This is what Paul's describing. Verse 25, that there may be no division in the body that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. That sounds like a pastor's dream. What a beautiful picture of the body. Think about it. All the members fulfilling their functions and roles, all of them caring for one another, each one understanding the value 
that everybody else brings to the table. No one feeling superior. No one made to feel inferior. Pastors and preschool volunteers both feeling valued. Cookie bakers and bookstore hosts and Awana workers all feeling appreciated. Greeters and ushers and small group leaders alike all sharing in each other's joys and in each other's struggles. Prayer team members praying for women's ministry leaders. No silos, no siloing, everyone feeling a part of the team, no hint of division, equal honor given to all. That's not just a pastor's dream, that's Jesus' dream for his church. And it is his church, and that leads me to the sixth and final principle of body life we'll look at today, and that's sovereignty, sovereignty. That God has gifted each member as he sees fit. It's his work to distribute the gifts among the body, and no one possesses all the gifts. Kind of rounds out this chapter 12 like this, establishing this truth. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? What do we call those? Rhetorical questions, right? The answer is no, 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 no. Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? No. No one has all the gifts. I would say Jesus Christ has all the gifts. But none of his human followers do. Paul says, look, God is the one who gives gifts. He's the one who distributes and bestows giftings upon his people and appoints them to different roles in the church. He does it as he sees fit. Who got what gifts is God's deal, not ours, really. We who are in the body simply need to trust God and his sovereignty. Here's a yet another area to trust the sovereignty of God and to cultivate and develop the gifts that we have been given and not let them lie dormant on the shelf. Does this make sense? God's wiser than any of us. He knows how he wants his body to work. The old saying applies here, Father knows best, right? Father knows best. So these principles of life in the body of Christ form a foundation for a strong and solid ecclesiology in your heart and mind. Unity, diversity, value, interdependence, equal honor, sovereignty, and when the members of a church have appreciation for each of these and live that out, them out, I'm telling you, it's a beautiful picture. It's a stunningly beautiful body that makes Jesus proud. Now, this has been a pretty positive message so far, yes? There's something I, I don't want to leave out because we all know that one thing that can happen to bodies is they can become unhealthy. They can become diseased. Cancer, and we hate cancer, can grow and rob a body of its vitality. And the same is true in the body of Christ. And through the years, we've identified some, I'll call them toxic attitudes, that if left unchecked, can poison a body, a church. Maybe you've experienced some of these. So I'll just mention some of these. I'm not going to linger too long, but I felt like the Lord wanted to uh, address some of these. These are attitudes, Okay. Outlooks, attitudes that I think are toxic to the church. Um, traditionalism. 
Now, there's nothing wrong with tradition. Having traditions are fine. But traditionalism is this mindset that, um, you know, I'm, if, if something's new, I'm against it. <laughs> well, do you know what it is? Nope. I just know that if it's new, I'm against it. I don't like new things. I hate change. We've never done it that way before. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Get the idea? Listen, if... Uh, if the church is a living organism, then it's going to be growing and changing, right? That's what living organisms do. We've got to be open to change. How about this one? Devil's advocate. Let me just play devil's advocate here. I, I, whenever I hear that, I just think, you know, really? Yeah, I'm, I'm siding with Lucifer on this one. <laughs> oh, that's a good idea. Devil's advocate. Let me tell you all the reasons why your idea is not going to work and why people aren't going to like it. Well, maybe we need to do some analysis, but do you really want to shoot it down right out of the right out of the chute? Shoot it right out of the chute? Anyway. How about spiritual superiority? You know, I'm really the only one who's doing ministry right around here. Kind of stinks, doesn't it? Phariseeism, it's cousin. You should be more like me. I'm really the standard for how things get done. You know, if the world had more people like me, the world would be a better place. That's Phariseeism, and it reeks. Then there's the crusader who has their pet ministry or mission that they're very passionate about. There's nothing wrong with that. I hope you are passionate about something in the kingdom of God, but crusaders take it to an unhealthy... They're like, if you're not as passionate as I am about my cause, you stink. You're not right with God. Something's wrong with you. That's not healthy, is it? I mean, just this analogy of the body with everybody having their own function and their own calling and passion would mitigate against the crusader attitude. Playing favorites is another one that's toxic to a body. Oh, I only like it when so-and-so preaches. I only like it when so-and-so sings or leads worship. Just so you know, I hate this with a passion. I've seen it tear churches apart, people lining up behind their favorite celebrity leader. It's just wicked. It's from Satan. I hope it never finds a place here at New Life. And there's the prima donna. Look at me. Put me up there. I want to showcase my talent so everyone will be impressed with me because I'm awesome. <laughs> now, you may be awesome, but the only person around here we want to showcase is Jesus. Amen. We want to keep the spotlight on him. Okay? If this is in you, you've got to find out what's underneath that, what's feeding that. I need to be noticed. Territorialism, don't mess with my room. That's my room. Um, that's my idea. I want credit for that idea. That's my seat. What are you doing sitting in my seat? I'm like, is there a nameplate on there or something? You know, we don't have personal seat licenses here. Territorialism, right? It's mine. Keep your hands off. I've been doing this for years. It's not a healthy attitude. Uh, this one is toxic, prejudice. You know, Pastor, if we get too many of those people in here, it's going to ruin our church. Those, who are, what do you mean those people? We're just people. Sinners who need a Savior. We want the church to be composed of all kinds of people, right? Wealthy, middle class, poor, black, white, all people. 
false humility. I guess I'm not, just really not needed around here. <laughs> Poor me syndrome. I'm upset because nobody ministered to me, no one talked to me, no one cared for me. This church doesn't really care. Poor me. A critical spirit can ruin a church. Let me tell you all the things I don't like about what's going on around here. That's a great way to start a meeting. Now, may, maybe some analysis and assessment does need to be done, but you know, some people are just wired to be negative, and it's like, I just don't like anything. So unhealthy. It says actually more about you than it does about around here. Flapping tongue syndrome. I know I shouldn't say anything, but I think I will. You know, did you know that Frida is struggling again with her alcohol issue? Now look, there are places to share and pray for other people. Small groups in particular, we want to be um, safe in places of confidentiality, right? But there's a line there, isn't there? There's a line that if you cross over it, you're actually gossiping and you're poisoning the water stream and tarnishing someone else's reputation. It hurts a church. This next one, no one would say it this way, but sometimes our actions betray us. I want what I want, when I want it, for as long as I want it. Everything ought to cater to me and my taste or I'm out of here. That consumeristic attitude, it's prevalent in our culture. But it's not to be in the church. We're to be a counterculture, right? We're to learn that old quality that previous generations did better at called deference. Deferring to other people. Well, that may not, I may not like it that way. That may not be my preference or taste, but that's okay. It must be for somebody else. That's okay. Deferring. Or going AWOL. I can just walk away. I can just walk away. Not tell anybody, say anything. It's all good. I'm good. It's like, no, that's actually not good. <laughs> Your arm wouldn't do that. Where'd my arm go? <laughs> you know, it's gone. Your liver wouldn't do that. Your kidney wouldn't do that. We're interconnected. We're intertwined. We're interwoven. We're interdependent. Listen, these attitudes are poison. They're inspired by Satan. And in, in other churches, I've seen them do massive damage. We've been blessed here at New Life. God's had mercy on us through the years, sparing us from much of this. And I don't, we can't claim any credit, I don't think. I think the Lord has done it, but each of us ought to be very vigilant to see that we don't let any of these attitudes start to take root in our hearts. They will poison the body. They're like cancer. I wonder if the Spirit of God pointed out any of these in your own heart. And if so, I want you to think about what might be required of you to repent and to undo any damage that's been done and stop the infection from spreading. What might God call you to do or say? Listen, Jesus Christ bled and died on an old rugged cross to undercut each of these toxic tendencies that we have in the flesh. In fact, he died to dissolve the reason for even having them like the thing underneath it that causes us to want to have these attitudes. He did away with it through his death and burial and resurrection on the cross. I don't have to have a playing favorites attitude or a pharisaical attitude or a consumeristic attitude. Christ has dissolved the need for that. Salvation is better than you thought. 
Jesus wants to preserve for himself a healthy and thriving body through which to express himself in this world. And we're it. We're part of the body of Christ. When I think about the potential for gospel impact in our city, if every one of us who names the name of Jesus and calls New Life your church home, if every ministry partner at both campuses was rooted and grounded in fellowship like I've been talking about today, striving hard for unity in, in Christ, serving his body with joy, it staggers my mind. Don't you think thousands of people might be impacted? Maybe tens of thousands of people in our city getting a taste of kingdom life through the church of Christ. I think when eternity reveals the full measure of gospel influence that God had through us, we will be stunned and Jesus will be glorified and that's what so many of us want, for him to be seen as awesome by more and more and more people. Amen? Is that what you want? That's what I want. So let's do this. A couple of quick, very practical applications here, if I may. First step. It's okay, honey. I'll go soft on them. I won't rough them up too bad, all right? If you have not yet taken our New Life class, would you take it? Starts next, next one starts next week, Sunday morning, 9 a.m. You can check the box on that little registration flap. Interested in the New Life class? Take that class and become a full ministry partner of New Life. Get more grounded in fellowship with the saints here in this body of believers. We'll show you in that class how to get connected in a small group if you're not in one yet. We'll map out the pathway for finding your place of service or ministry in this body so we can stay healthy and grow. Take that first step. This next one's being taught by Pastor Claude, Pastor Brian, Pastor Jay, and Alan Budd, so you know it's going to be really good. Four weeks, next Sunday, let us know that you're registering for it using that little tear-off. Next step, if you are a ministry partner here and you're not currently serving in a regular, ongoing ministry of this church, I'm asking you to reconsider that. Your church needs you. Your fellow members need you to be in the game. You still have something valuable to offer. I'm asking you to say yes to the head of the church and offer yourself once again to serve his body. So what I did is I put on the front of your worship folder a little box at the bottom. It says Fab Five. I know that's a basketball team term, but I'm using it for our purposes. Top five opportunities to serve right now. Open roles and positions right now. Worship ministries. We need some drummers. So if you played in a garage band back in the 90s, bass players, our children's ministries, we serve hundreds and hundreds of children. There are areas in preschool and nursery that are open. Hospitality ministries, greeters, ushers. Hey, we have a ministry here called Me and My Friends. It's a ministry to some very special people, adults with disabilities. Great ministry. We need some folks to, who... That's your role. That's your function in the body. Come, come alongside people who face some special challenges in their lives and help them feel loved, the love of Christ. Who knows how the Lord might want to use you once again to bless his body. Again, there's a little box on your tear-off flap. Interested in serving in a ministry. And if you check that, it's not like you're signing up for it. You're, you're saying, I'm willing to, to explore possibilities and I'll have someone contact you and you can talk about where a good fit might be. 
I'll finish with this. Church, each and every one of us shares in the responsibility for the health of this body of believers. It's a high calling. I pray that every single ministry partner of New Life Church will take it seriously. And as we do, Jesus Christ, our Lord, will be honored and the world will be blessed. And to that I say amen. Father, thank you. Thank you for composing your body of many different people with different passions and gifts and callings. Thank you for the picture that you give us in your word of the church as a body, interconnected, interwoven, interdependent, equal value. Thank you that every person sitting in a chair in this room right now has been gifted by you if they know Christ. Lord, may this church become everything you ever hoped it would be, everything you ever dreamed of. And Lord, may your worldwide church, the worldwide body of Christ, grow ever more pleasing to you because we take this seriously that we have looked at today. I offer this in Jesus' name. Visit us each week as we continue to journey through God's word and seek to know him better through the gospel. Our prayer is that the gospel has taken a deeper hold of you as we have studied the word together at New Life Church, where Jesus is front and center all the time.